You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. From across the stars, Commanders Michael Cohen, Matthew Krenke, and the Ragtag Crew are here to bring you stories of adventure and excitement from a galaxy far, far away. Get ready for tales of merciless bounty hunters, courageous heroes, and sinister villains from the core worlds to the outer rim and beyond. fans to faster more intense fmi a star wars podcast that covers star wars live action and uh today we are covering episode three of the disney plus series the mandalorian i'm one of your hosts matt and let me welcome in my label mates on the thunder quack podcast network who always kill it on the Star Wars The Saga Continues podcast. Aww. I got uh, Kyle and Paul joining me today. What's up, Kyle? Hey, how's it going, Matt? Excited Good to be, to be here uh... for... Yeah, it's exciting to be here for this episode of The Mandalorian. I think we, the three of us kind of hit the jackpot on this one. Because, um, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. we kind of do a roundtable and rotate out hosts every week. And uh, when I watched this episode on Friday, I was like, man, I picked a good week to sign up to be on the podcast. So this should be a fun one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Also, uh, Paul, what's up, Paul? Um, pretty good. When you're not trying to talk smack about being farther at <laughs> Jedi Fallen Order with me, sir. Uh, you know? I know, right? Hey, yeah. over the, over the over the Twitters too. We also had like a little a little chat about. Um, you called me out on the Mandalorian, which I have to admit, I, I was not super excited about the series when it was introduced. But hey, seeing all the footage that came out at the at celebration and then watching this show and and we'll get into some stuff of why i think it's it's certainly becoming uh one of my favorite things it doesn't i mean i'm not gonna say i'm i'm more hyped with this stuff than i am you know the rise of skywalker that's still going to be top for me these movies but this thing has mm. really really surprised me on how and how uh I don't know. It's grabbed my attention and i'm really excited shoot even my wife is watching this thing this is what's crazy guys like she's she watches the movies, you know, whatever, like a lot of, you know, maybe uh, wives or, or partners or whatever that that watch it with you and like, oh, yeah, that was fine. But they have no other interest in it. Right. She's even like, hey, we're going to watch the man morning tonight. Right. It's Friday. We're going to watch it. Yeah, we're going to watch it. So <laughs> if I if she can get you know excited about this, man, this thing is really cool. And I just saw a news story. I don't know if you guys saw this. It's like this thing is doing more numbers than than like Stranger Things and uh, a couple of the shows. Dude. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Well, yeah, yeah. They, com- they compared it to a bunch of shows. Um, and I don't know exactly how they measure the metrics, but they were measuring it in terms of like demand for streaming, uh, like streaming content, basically. And I don't know if it's like how much it's being talked about on social media or yeah. um, like how many times it's actually been watched. But yeah, whatever metric they were using to measure this. Uh, oh, and it was over like its first seven days of release. 
Um, so they're kind of comparing like the demand for the Mandalorian in its first week versus like how many people were watching Stranger Things during its first week and stuff like that. Um, and Mandalorian was like far and away more popular than Stranger Things and uh, it was like, oh, they compared it to some other sci-fi shows like Doctor Who and Westworld. Doctor but then Who, yeah. They compared it That's to a it. few other shows on uh, Netflix and other streaming services too. Um, so yeah, I don't remember exactly what all those were or exactly what numbers they're measuring by, but I mean, the the gist of it was the Mandalorian's really popular. And all you have to do is look at all the Baby Yoda memes on Twitter to realize that that's true. Yeah, right. I know, it's well, crazy. It's, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Paul. Well, uh, it's, are we shocked that it's doing this good? I mean, come on. I mean, am I the only person? I feel I'm the only person in this universe sometimes that thought this was going to slam dunk 100%. <laughs> gonna be fire and, and I mean, of course it star wars should be doing better than stranger things i mean come on i mean it's like <laughs> it's I mean, just a like, it's just a nice surprise though because i mean yes it looked good going into it but they didn't was this a surprise? because okay first of all they didn't show us much like the stuff that they showed us looked good but they still showed little enough that there could have been a lot more stuff that wasn't as impressive as the stuff they put in the trailers um and also, again, I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I want it to be awesome, and I had a feeling that it was going to be good, but you just never know until it's out there, and especially with the reaction to The Last Jedi and Solo. Mm. Like, if you had told me that The Mandalorian and Jedi Fallen Order would have come out at the same time and both been as critically well-received as they've been, I almost wouldn't have believed you because after the past couple years of Star Wars stuff that we've been through, it's just hard to imagine everybody being so excited about two big things at once. Um, and I mean, you hear little negative things here and there, like it's not a hundred percent, not everybody loves it, but for the most part, both of these have knocked it out of the park. Yeah. yeah and it will, for me, I think the Mandalorian is, I get, I, I've, I've always had faith in John Favreau. I talked about this on my, the blaster cannon show just the other day. Um, and I talked about how, I've always had faith in this because one, Mandalorians are a cool property that we haven't been really going down and exposing yet. And I say exposed because they are very much at this uh, before the Mandalorian TV show, they were always kind of like the, I almost want to say secret ingredient to Star Wars because we're all, we were all prevalent. Well, says Kyle was a baby in the nineties, but uh, Matt, me and you were pretty, you know, pretty with it in the nineties. And Boba Fett was, was huge. Like Boba yeah. Fett was on everything in star Wars. And, and Kyle, I'm sure you remember that too, but just give me a little jab. Cause you're younger than us. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah. I mean, you're right to a certain extent. I wasn't a baby through well, but, all of the nineties. I was a baby but, to kick off the nineties. Yeah. There you go. But my point is this, is that, it, Boba Fett was huge and he was all over the marketing because he was a popular character. And again, there's, there's, there's reasons why, but let's be real. He was a popular character, not because he was a cool character. Cause he had like, you know, whatever he looked amazing. And that's yeah. the reason why people loved sure. him. And, 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 you know, there's, I, I loved all the criticism and I say love, obviously I'm joking when I say that because it's annoying when people are like, you know, now Boba Fett's boring. How could you let Boba Fett? Cause it looks amazing for God's sakes. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. If, if you had like, if Jerry Bullock was just nodding his head in Jabba's palace without the, the suit, he it would, you know, and put him in some rags or whatever. Yeah. No one would care. No one would care. But he looks amazing, and that's why we all love him. And, and uh, that's obviously why the EU and everything before it 
in all the Mandal- and that's we were all interested in where he comes from. What does what does that armor mean? And and they gave it different meanings. And obviously George went with it a different way. And you know we can go. That's a whole like podcast of like series and and show focus for like three years by itself. But but in this instance, I always knew the Mandalorian or something like that would be successful because of you can't undermine the idea of having a great looking characters in genre filmmaking or TV or whatever. And I just knew with the fact that you're going down a road of, of a great looking uh, character that hasn't been exposed yet really in star Wars written by John Favreau. One of the, I think one of the architects of the Marvel cinematic universe and is obviously and other things as well. Uh, also swingers, freaking love swingers. I, I don't think he wrote swingers, but he was a big part of that movie, I think. Um, but anyway, my point is I just had a lot of faith. And then you put Dave Filoni in and the fact that he's executive producing and he's directing for the first time. I just knew this was a recipe for success and it's even, it's gone beyond even my wildest dreams and obviously, you know, with baby Yoda and everything. So I, I just, I, I just knew this was going to be successful and I, I just, I don't know. I love being right. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, let's be real. It's not like that hard of a guess. It's star. That's why I said this should be no surprise to anyone. It's Star Wars. And yeah. well, I think I don't think it's a surprise that it's successful, but I think it is a surprise that it's as successful as it has been. I, I guess for me, Star Wars should trump Marvel. And I, this is coming from a Marvel, like a diehard Marvel fan. Marvel's. I'm a Marvel zombie, but. In the, I guess maybe in the U.S. because outside Marvel is bigger on the outside of the U.S. But in the U.S., Star Wars should trump any franchise when it's at its peak, 100%. If I had to take Marvel and Star Wars at its peak, I would say Star Wars would win. Maybe not. I don't know Marvel now. I, it's hard to say. Marvel might have a little bit of an edge because it's got it's riding on momentum. But when Star Wars is at its peak, it's really it's uh, it's to me it's unstoppable. And I just. Uh, of course, Star Wars should be destroying Stranger Things, in my opinion. So, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this episode. I just brought a bunch of Mandalorians and where he comes from and all that, all that jazz, and and we're gonna get into that. Lots of cool yeah. stuff. No, definitely. And and you brought up Boba Fett. And before we get into the news, I'd say I, I had told this to Mike, and I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but my whole thing was, you know, Paul, like you said, you talked about some. I'm I'm even older than you, and and we grew up with Boba Fett. And my first reaction was. The, with this show is like, why couldn't this have been Boba Fett? I have thoughts that maybe they've, or, you know, uh, Favreau wanted to do Boba Fett, but maybe they told him no. Uh, so that's why he just picked the Mandalorian. But so far in this show, there's no reason it couldn't have been Boba Fett. But I think hopefully in this show, we'll see why that you can't use it. It's going to be somebody else. Um, we already know the name, and I don't, you don't want to know the name. I don't really want to know the name either. But it's just funny how you you mentioned Boba Fett, and that was like the thing on my mind. I was like, man, I wish this kind of could have been Boba Fett because he's just been so ingrained in our in this uh, saga for so many you know decades now, and he's such a I think he's a beloved character. Like you said, the look is amazing. So, but it is kind of nice getting to to know some new Mandos and some new stuff here, and we're going to get into that. Um, I guess. Yeah, good. No, oh, I, I just to add on to that, Matt. I yeah. mean, my idea of this show from the beginning, even just seeing the the trailers and hearing the premise and stuff, it sounded to me like John Favreau, you know, being an original trilogy fan and probably was a big fan of Boba Fett. And rather than 
making a Boba Fett show that tried to fit into the continuity of like what George had already done with the character. This seems like taking it back to the roots of like back in the days after the original trilogy, like in the eighties and nineties when he was a really popular character just because of that look and because people didn't really know who he was or where he came from. And there was kind of this idea of, and of course I was really young when this was all going on. So I wasn't as aware of it then, but you know, just from reading a lot of like the history of the character and what kind of people's initial reaction to him was and stuff, it sounds like, you know, people really had this idea of Boba Fett as he, you know, he kind of seemed like that Western gunslinger, that man with no name, like the the silent mm-hmm. but deadly. He even walks with like the clinking like spurs on his boots and stuff like that. Um, and then George kind of took it in a different direction and we see him as a kid and his ties to the clone army and Jango Fett and everything. And so it, it my impression of it is this kind of is supposed to almost be like a pseudo Boba Fett show. But rather than continuing on the character and picking up from where George left off with him, they're like, let's just start with a a clean slate with a new Mandalorian, but make him that sort of idealized image of Boba Fett that we all thought he was going to be before George added more stuff to the character. I mean, even exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because it's got that classic Western vibe. He's even got the same rifle that Boba Fett had in the holiday special. So, like, there's a lot of callbacks to the origin of the character, I feel like, and sort of like the the 80s and 90s interpretations of what people thought Boba Fett was going to be like. That's exactly what I think happened. This is exactly – and again, Matt, I know you said you weren't a huge Boba Fett fan, but I I was. I, I loved Boba Fett as a kid. No, I loved I, too. I, I, loved oh, I, I apologize. Um, I misheard you. Um, so for me – that's exactly what I think. And I'm curious, Matt, what you think about that, because I because Boba Fett was we, we you just wanted to know everything you could about the character, where he came from and Mandalorians. And and I think that this was definitely the idea we all thought Boba Fett was. If you were to show me this, right. you know, you know, you know, when I was in middle school or elementary school or whatever, I, I obviously my mind would melt and, and be blow up. But I would immediately say, "Oh, this is Boba Fett. Why is that? Is that is that Boba Fett? Why does he have you know? Just if he just told me and I saw everything, I would say, it, even even like Pedro Pascal's voice, I would say it's not like identical to the original Boba Fett voice. But I forgot his name because it wasn't Jeremy Bullock, obviously. But it's not too far off either. I would say it's it's very it's somewhat similar. It's somewhat, and you could I, I guess I what I'm trying to say is that you my younger self would totally assume this would be Boba Fett and it would make sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that this very much is what we all considered Boba Fett to be. And I I don't think it's a, I don't think it's, it's a coincidence that, that John Favreau is doing that because I think this is something that he probably thought as Boba Fett. And when he, and again, when he wrote the Mandalorian, when he wrote the script by, you know, unlike untampered, meaning like, they didn't tap him to the you know write this on you know for whatever like he wrote it on him on his own and, and and then pitched the idea. This is something that like was something that he wanted to see as Boba Fett and it was well I'll just make it a new Mandalorian that's all I have to do it's not that hard actually and I think it's it seems if you were to tell me this like you know five years ago I'd be like so basically it's like Boba, 90s Boba Fett just like reimagined eh, I'm not sure about that. And or at least, at least from if you, on the surface, like give me more, a little more uh, backdrop or whatever. But like 
that's exactly what we got. And it's been amazing. And, um, you know, I just, yeah, I, I, I just love, I love what we're, that this is the Boba Fett. We, we, I, I don't want to say we deserved because George is, was the, the keeper of everything. And I think he definitely had a, a I, I, in hindsight, I do like his vision, but I definitely think this is the Boba Fett that we all expected. And I think we're, I think we're, right. that we're getting it. It's fulfilling us. Matt, we'll, What's your, what's your take on that? Well, I was just, I was just going to finish by saying I think it's just maybe the fan boy in me that, like I said, I did love Boba. I just didn't when this series was announced. I was just like, oh man, you know, Mandalorians, they're, gotcha. they're fine. Yeah. But but Boba Fett, no, I, I was totally I love Boba Fett. And that's why maybe I, like I said, this is the fan boy in me kind of wanted this to be like like you said, this is this is what we wanted to see Boba Fett do back in the original trilogy. And now that you have the opportunity to do it and the effects and Disney and all this stuff, like you just kind of want to see him get his just, des- you know, desserts. Like he went out like a punk, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of us are just like, man, why can't he come back and, and show how cool he is, you know, and to see that green armor again and the Wookiee braids. And that I think that's part of it too, just my own um, little fanboy wish that we can see that. But, you know, like I said, he, Boba Fett has his, his run, and we saw what happened with him in, in the uh, the uh, prequel trilogy. So, although I did say you could insert Boba Fett into the show at this point, maybe that's not exactly true because we have learned some things about the Mandalorians and and the the foundlings and and this kind of thing. So we'll get into that in in, in the episode here. But um, I guess I guess before we do get into the episode, just a couple more items of news, and we'll jump in. Um, uh, we have descriptions. For four, five, and six episodes of the Mandalorian coming up, they hit on the web. If you don't want to know this, this is a spoiler. Um, I consider this a spoiler. So if you don't want to know any, they're just one sentence, uh, uh, little recaps here of what's coming up. If you don't want to hear, just jump ahead a minute or two here. Uh, in episode four, guys, we got the Mandalorian teaming up with an ex-soldier to protect a village from raiders. I'm assuming that's the Cara Dune character. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, um, I think. I don't know if you watched that uh, that panel that they did when they had like a premiere screening for some fans and they had the cast and crew there and they did an interview that they streamed on like YouTube Live and stuff. Um, and they mentioned that Bryce Dallas Howard was the one who introduced uh, the character of Cara Dune and she's directing episode four. So, yeah, that's definitely who they're talking about. OK, good. Yeah. Um, episode five of The Mandalorian helps a rookie bounty hunter who is in over his head. That one's got me a little puzzled. I'm not sure that could be. Yeah, I I mean, I hadn't heard anything about a rookie bounty hunter before, so that'll be uh, interesting to see. I think that also is the episode when uh, Ming-Na Wen's character, like she's playing some assassin or something, she's supposed to be introduced in that episode. That's Um, right. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see who this rookie bounty hunter is. I mean, every t- anytime I hear something about another bounty hunter, my mind is always jumping to like, oh, are we going to see Cad Bane or Hondo or, you know, some <laughs> other familiar face? But if it's a rookie bounty hunter, it's probably going to be a new character. Yeah, I know. Oh, geez. If, you, if he is able to pull something like that off, that would be amazing. Bringing in characters like that from the Clone Wars. Gosh, I mean, uh, it's, then, it's it, Dave yeah. Filoni and he brought back Darth Maul and Grand Admiral Thrawn. So I wouldn't put anything <laughs> past him at this point. Yeah, I know. That's a good point. And then uh, season six, the uh, tagline is the Mandalorian joins a crew of mercenaries on a dangerous mission. So, um, you know, we got Kara Dune coming in. I'm sure she's going to be involved in that. And whoever this new rookie bounty hunter, I'm assuming they're going to fall in line with the Mandalorian and he's going to have a crew of mercenaries now. So um, that's kind of what's coming up uh, as far as news. 
And then the only other thing kind of we wanted to mention is, um, of course, we've had a couple of new spots in the last week as far as the uh, the rise of Skywalker. Uh, we got a another 30-second clip, and then we got a, a little two-and-a-half-minute um, kind of encompassing the whole saga. And then we actually got today 30 seconds of an actual scene. Again, spoilers here if you don't want to hear us talk about this this particular scene. I understand that. Jump ahead maybe a minute or two. But, Kyle, we got the scene. I know you've seen it. I've seen it. Um, it's actually a really fun scene. It has a funny line in it from, from Poe and Finn. And it just shows, I guess, it's showcasing some of the action. And this is confirmed that this is kind of basically in the beginning of the movie from J.J. Abrams. So, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's just a cool scene. It was a cool scene. I, I, I love seeing the new stuff that the, the fly, you know, they, he makes a joke about they can fly now. Talking about the, uh, the, the first order troopers that are on these, um, you know, two wheeled bike things that launch them into the air. So, uh, actually, a really fun scene. Had some good comedy in it. Kind of reminded me of The Force Awakens, kind of the comedy that between Finn and, and Poe. So yeah. I really, I, I really love that. What do you think? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's going to be a fun action scene. Um, we really didn't get to see a whole lot of it. Like you said, it's just the thirty seconds. We see the jet troopers like on the back of the speeders, and they get launched up. Um, and then yeah, three PO is like, oh, they can fly now, and Finn's like, they can fly now, and Poe's like, yeah, they can fly now. So, uh, you know, fun little back and forth between the main characters. I'm looking forward to getting to see just all, th- well, all when I say all three, like Finn, Poe, and Ray. Uh, see them all together on screen like we haven't really seen that group dynamic much in this trilogy so far why'd you leave out 3po you don't want to see 3po he's not part of the main three dude he's a part he's a main freaking character he's in every saga film why do you have to hate on 3po i'm not hating on 3po (laughs) you're hating on 3po you know 3po is my favorite 3po is my favorite character so so by not including him in the three main characters of the trilogy i'm hating on it Yes, because he's he's the one who said the freaking line. I just I said that he said the line, and then I said I'm I, looking forward to seeing Ray, Finn, and Poe together. Ex- exactly. I gave three PO his credit for the line. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Oh boy, it's getting heated up in here. If you want to hear three hours of this on a biweekly yeah. basis, <laughs> tune into Star Wars: The Saga Continues. No, hey, we're gonna be doing our com- we're today. gonna be doing our commentary episode for the Last Jedi in a couple oh, weeks. Oh, get your popcorn ready for that one. Yeah, that one's Dude. gonna be woo. We just a side note. I was we had a very serious talk. I'm being serious. I went to them and I said, guys, yeah. we might have to do a. a a rebuttal episode just for me. That way I'm not dominating the conversation completely. And Kyle's like, no, 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 no. You, you know, he had it all worked out. I'm like, all right, Kyle, I trust you. So I'm letting Kyle take the lead on this. He's uh he's the leader. I'm like, I'm going to take your lead. I try to warn him. Like I'm trying to help us. I don't, you know, dominate. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We're, you know, we're, you know, I'm like, okay, I get it. I try to warn people. I'm like, I'm warning you guys. I, yeah. But I will say this for a sneak preview for those who think I just hate The Last Jedi. I do not hate The Last Jedi. There are elements of The Last Jedi that I hate and still do not like. But there's a lot that I do like. And I cannot wait to discuss it on our upcoming The uh, Last Jedi commentary, which we'll record next month, which we still haven't recorded The Force Awakens. We'll do that tomorrow. So. Yeah, that's tomorrow. And then, That's tomorrow. Wow. I mean, Last I, Jedi is going to be next month, but next month is next week. So it won't be. Long. I know. It's true. <laughs> Hey, I'm looking forward to that too. I don't know, I, I, Paul. You might even like Last Jedi more than me. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I'm looking forward to listening 
to that, I think uh, so. that craziness. Um, I think I, I, yeah. think I, I might have a little bit more, just a little <laughs> bit. Not much. Uh, yeah, and, and, and like you said, I don't hate it. I just there's a lot of things that man, I just you just kind of. And after seeing like some of the quotes from from JJ over the last few weeks, and and the the introduction of Palpatine, which was done, I don't want to say last minute, but you know this was done recently. It's just like man, it, you can just tell this this trilogy was not. It just wasn't laid out. You know, it was just like grab you by the seat of your pants and let's do something. And um, holy crap, what is what a what a monumental task JJ has on this last one. And I'm mm-hmm. hey, I'm going I'm going in. Let's like I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I don't want to get myself too hyped, but from everything I've seen, what JJ said, and I I love the Force Awakens, so I'm I'm pretty positive. I'm pretty pretty stoked to I'm to I'm for December nineteenth. Yeah, yeah. I, I am. I'm extremely stoked. I, I think, I'll be honest. I just the just the very very subtle things that JJ's saying and, and the niceties that he's saying, you could tell he. I, I I just think that he's going into like, he's gonna. I hate to say fix things, but I I, not, it's not gonna fix like Luke or anything or retcon much. There's gonna be retcons. Like let's be yeah. real. It's it's like it's pretty much, Finn. And Ray Ray's already being retconned. I mean, like she's already like Daisy Ridley is already saying it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's happening, people. Like they, she may not, she may be a nobody, but something's something's going on. So we'll find out. But anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, no, I'll, 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 I'll join you and Chris. I'll be on your guys's there you uh, go. Rise of Skywalker show. I'll yeah. bite myself on. I miss Chris. Tell him I said what's up. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, uh, so the, yeah, like I said, news. Um, again, it's just a lot of, with the exception of the, uh, the stuff we got from the Mandalorian. There, those uh, upcoming episode descriptions. Um, it's just all about the rise of Skywalker. We're just a few days away, or a couple weeks away. So with that, uh, we are going to get into the Mandalorian, guys. Here we go. This is episode three, entitled. The Sin, directed by Deborah Chow and uh, written by John Favreau. Um, and guys, we'll just—I guess we'll just take it uh, kind of somewhat scene by scene. We won't get like super crazy in detail, but I'm sure we will. We seem to always do that when we talk Star Wars. But hey. um, this thing, uh, this thing, the sin, and we'll talk about what could possibly the sin mean throughout this episode as well. Uh, guys, we start off with the Mandalorian, and uh, he's on the Razor Crest, uh, traveling through uh, space. And uh, Baby Yoda and the setup of him playing with the, I'm just going to say the hyperspace level. I'm not sure what it is. The lever, though, the ball, he takes the lever off, kind of setting up uh, this scene. I just love the setup of this because you don't know what's going to happen later on. But this setup, when you look back on it, is really pretty fantastic about how he goes to it a second time in the middle. And then the very end, it kind of pays off as well again. So uh, this thing starts up in space. Guys, uh, the Razor Crest, uh, Baby Yoda. I mean, everybody loves Baby Yoda, right, Kyle? Uh, yeah, definitely. Nobody more so than my 12-year-old little sister-in-law. Um, like, you know, I watched it with her. She didn't even know what was going on, but she was freaking out about Baby Yoda the whole time. So, uh, yeah, like I said, that seems to be kind of the most popular thing from this show so far. Um, yeah. But, you know, so, of course, it's fun to see him on screen anytime. Him or her, I mean, we don't know the name or What's gender or anything of the baby yet. But. No, no, he, he says he's, he's a he. The scientist goes, he, I'm, I'm trying to protect him. He says him. Oh, okay. I missed that. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode, he says that? Yeah, he does. I, oh, I, 
Yeah, I rewatched this. I did my due diligence and I rewatched this episode again just for you guys. Nice. And uh, I've yeah, also watched it twice just because I was playing Jedi Fallen Order right before we got on to record. Don't judge me, Paul. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, no, he does say, uh, okay. I'm trying to protect him. He says he in multiple times when uh, he goes back to, to save him. You're talking about okay. Dr. Pershing. Yeah, yeah. Is it Pershing? Is that his name? It's uh, Pershing. Pershing, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. So that that kind of sets up. Um, you know, you, he takes the baby. Obviously, Baby Yoda. I'll just call him Baby Yoda. I don't know what else to call him. So he takes Baby Yoda to the client. Um, and I just love. And I, this is the things that kind of stick out to me. Yeah, you know, the classic Star Wars wipes that they go from like scene to scene. I always love that. Uh, but we get the client um, and Doctor Pershing. I guess. Well, I don't want to skip too far ahead guys um i guess i might be skipping a little bit too far away but anyway uh baby yoda I, and here's another thing i love about baby yoda is his, he emotes with his ears a lot mm-hmm. of times um and i just love that like sometimes you see it when he's scared the ears go down or when he's happy the ears kind of move around or go up it's just one of those little little small touches that i love uh about what they do with his character and i and this is here's the thing paul about this mandalorian show i I'll say this now in case I forget it. This is the thing that really brought me in was at the end of that second episode when they brought a force element into the series. That's when it was like a game changer for me. I was like, yes, that's exactly what I was hoping for. Like, I love all the Mandalorian stuff, but Star Wars to me is at its best when it can include the force and, uh, you know, the the force powers and, you know, Jedi or, or force wielders. Um, and the dark side, and I, that's when I just, it just really connects with me when I do that, just because I'm uh, I'm an older fan. And I think that's what it's doing. When I saw that scene in the end of season, uh, episode two, it was like, yes, for some type of force users in this, where can this go? And I think that just the, the just the thought of where is this going to go? Like I have, and that was another thing, the Baby Yoda thing totally threw me for a loop. My first thought was going to be some type of force user. I had no idea it was going to be Baby Yoda, but I thought for some, you know, I thought it was going to be some type of force sensitive child. Turns out to be this, uh, you know, young Yoda. So that that was what totally sold me on this series. But getting back to uh, the episode, Kyle. Um, again, we go, we talk the client. Um, he's he's bringing the baby to to collect his his ransom uh, or his, his uh, bounty. And um, one of the things that interested me was his, he asks about the child and the client goes, uh, you know, that's not, we don't do that. You know, part of the guild, we don't ask about our bounties. You, you take your bounty, you deliver it and you get your money for your go. That was the first instance of, wow, this Mandalorian is, you know, there's something going on with this with this child, and I have some theories about that later. But what do you think about that kind of about him asking about the the bounty and and where is he going with this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Any thoughts? Well, I think I mean you mentioned the name of the episode, the sin, and what that could possibly yeah. refer to. And I think this is I think it kind of has multiple meanings throughout the episode. But I think he has a few yeah. moments where he does things that you could consider a sin, at least you know to the people that he's interacting with. And this was one of them where he obviously you know he's got his bounty, he delivers it, he collects his payment. 
And then he obviously has developed a connection with this child and uh, doesn't feel good about handing him over to these Imperials and wants to know what they're going to do with it. And he asks, you know, asks more questions than he should. And he's like, and I think it's cool, too, that just through this exchange, we learn a little bit more about this bounty hunters code and the guild and stuff where he says, you know, hey, isn't it your code that once the job is done and the payment is collected that you're supposed to forget this ever happened? Mm. Um which makes sense. I mean, and especially I'm sure for a bounty hunter, um, even though a lot of these are, you know, rough and tough, kind of cold hearted people, um, sometimes you probably don't want to think about what's going to happen to uh, to some of these people that you're out there catching and stuff. You know, you can't afford to stop and let yourself think like, oh, where do they come from or what if they have a family or whatever? You're like, somebody wants them. They're paying me to collect them. That's all I got to worry about. Um, but he develops enough of, of a connection with this child that he's concerned and kind of wants to know um you know, make sure he's not handing him over to something bad. And you can kind of just see this whole time that he's got a bad feeling about this. Um, mm -hmm. And you, you kind of get the sense even here that he's not just going to let it drop. Like this isn't going to be the end of it. And I knew like whether it was further on in this episode or in future episodes or whatever, I'm like, we're going to see the baby again. He's going to come back for it at some point, or at least like run into it again at some point. But um, yeah, we see that uh, even as, uh, sort of cold and calculating and ruthless as this Mandalorian is, he's got enough of a soft spot in his heart that he's not going to just going to turn a baby over to some Imperials that are going to do bad things to him. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think, Paul? Well, I really like this this part because I loved when he was going through the marketplace or, or the town with baby Yoda and, and Yoda is reacting to all the, uh, scum and villainy if you will uh around him and he's responding to them i almost thought that they they're they're gonna try to take the baby right there i thought there was gonna be an action sequence like immediately um but i wasn't disappointed that it wasn't because i actually liked the idea of getting them or them going through together and him reacting to everything and, and it just added to the tension of what mando was doing by bringing him to the uh you know herzog and whatever is persian whatever is persian persian yeah. uh whatever you know bringing him to him it built that tension up because you're like is he gonna actually gonna do it and he did and i to me the sin is is definitely a double meaning kyle i, I definitely ag agree with that i think that there's the sin of there's the morale sin I think of of doing something that you know that is not right, but I also think there's the the more um, that's not honorable is not the right word I'm looking for, but the the more um, you, you what's the word? you help me out here because it's it's he's going by the guild rules right like yeah, so code, him going yeah. yeah the code so he so he goes against the code that would be him not not on um, what's the word I'm looking for he it, it makes you. Um, how do I explain this? You know what I'm saying? It's like he's committing a sin against the code. Mm -hmm. So yeah. therefore, so th therefore, that's where the double meaning is. And I like that. I like the idea that he, he's kind of he's damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, kind of a thing. Either way, and and obviously he couldn't live with himself to let Baby Yoda go by. You know, to to you know do something. Something happened to him, like. Obviously, something happened to him when he, you know, his own trauma and his own life that we get in the flashback. So, I like the idea of them going through and that built and building that up, and him talking to uh, Herzog and, and the doctor, and then and just kind of trying to get the idea. I also love the the uh, uh, Willow Hood 
uh, ice cream maker <laughs> yeah. is in there and, and, and is uh, full of, uh, of Mandalorian chocolate bars. Uh, so <laughs> I, I thought that was amazing. That, that was such a perfect touch. And let's be real. When he opens up the mechanister, I'm like, that looks incredible. Like, that was <laughs> such a great idea. I mm-hmm, mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. The most pressing pressing answer we wanted was, what the heck was Roro Hood carrying around? We finally got the answer. That <laughs> Dude was, was smuggling Beskar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned it. You know, it's it's uh, this client, man. He gave out a ton of these fobs because he wanted this, you know, they want this kid. And even though the Mandalorian is the Mandalorian, he's, he's really good at his job. He sent out everybody after this thing. That's how bad they wanted this thing. And, and you're right. It's the code. Uh, the client says the code of the guild is not to ask about what's going on with this, with this child. So he ends up taking his best car and we transition guys to uh, the Mando Enclave is what I, I keep hearing it referred to. Yeah. Um, now, one thing, you, one thing I wanted also, to, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just yeah, saying, yeah. one thing I wanted to jump in on, on the last thing you just mentioned about the, the client, how he sent out a bunch of fobs and sent all the uh-huh. bounty hunters after this thing, basically. And it was just kind of like a competition, like, Hey, let the best man win um, and bring back the child. And he even says like to the victor, go the spoils. Um, I was a little confused about that though, because in the first episode, when he sends him out after it, he says like, Hey, you know, I'll pay you to bring it back alive, but I understand that because bounty hunting is a complicated profession and stuff happens, like I'll also pay you less if you bring him back dead. Like I'll still give you something. But then when he meets up with IG-11 and IG-11's like, hey, the client wanted him terminated and he's about to kill him. So I assumed that he was hired by somebody else. And I thought there were like multiple people that were hiring bounty hunters to go after this child, which still might be the case. But then this episode kind of gives you the sense that uh, that this client was the one hiring all the bounty hunters. And I was like, well, why would he hire the Mandalorian to bring him back alive, but then hire IG-11 and give him a specific kill order? Right. That's the, that's the, what's the confusing part for me as well is trying to figure out like, like who's hiring who, like you got the guild and then, you know, there's a client stepping around and trying to, is he doing anything he can to get this baby in no matter what? So that, that is kind of um, one of those con- confusing kind of thing especially in the first couple episodes but i think i think now it's kind of like i guess it was just the client basically hiring anybody and everybody he could to to track this thing down whoever like he says in this episode guys he says um like he says the best man wins mm-hmm. you know what i mean so that kind of told me like well maybe he just hired a bunch of people and whoever brought him back was going to get it and it just happened to be the man born. so um but yeah so we jumped to the the mando enclave and guys did you I knew, I just heard, right when I heard the big hulking uh, dude, I, I knew it was John Favreau. Did you guys have oh, any yeah. doubt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I know no, some no. people didn't were like, oh, that's John. I was like, yeah, it sounds just like him, you know? Um, he was playing, it was a Vizsla, but it was, was it like Par Vizsla? Paz, 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 Paz Vizsla. Paz Vizsla, yeah. yeah. Vizsla. Which, by the way, I just pre-ordered that, uh, or not even pre-ordered. I ordered my uh, Black Series figure from Best yeah. Buy. Nice. And I, I, it, it said pre-order. I'm like, okay, when's this going to be released? And it's, and I got an email saying it'll be delivered on Friday. I was like, thank you, God. Yeah, so, I think it's you can order it for delivery right now, but they're not going to have them in stores for another week. Because I, I looked mm-hmm. into it too. I didn't buy one yet, but I still, I think I might at some point. Um, but yeah, yeah, it said like, yeah. it said it's a, available for shipping right now. And then it's available for pre-order for like in-store pickup. 
It's a it's and I think it's a it's a, a bigger figure because it it costs a little bit more than the usual one. Yeah, it's and, thirty instead of twenty. Yeah, and let me tell you, I cannot wait to get that thing. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I, I think Paz looks incredible. That the enclave scene is just it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that in the best way possible because it's it's amazing when they all when they when they start creeping up behind him. I'm like, oh man, because the first thing I'm thinking of is they're gonna kick the crap out of him to take his best car. And when that doesn't happen, you're like, oh. And then you see like basically like these two alphas trying to like you know pump their chest up against each other. I was like, geez, man, this is getting like a little more masculine than I was anticipating. But, but what's interesting is that it's not, that wasn't really it. It's more of, it's again, it's the warrior way of the Mandalorian, whether it be male, female or whatever. And what's interesting is that you get the, you get more lore that we haven't really, you know, really dived into yet. And I think that's really fascinating because I, I talked about I, I talked about this on the blast, uh, blaster cannon. Is that we? What I thought was interesting. We haven't gotten any kind of like ancillary material for the Mandalorian yet. We haven't got any books. We haven't got any comics. You know, we have Fallen Order prequels in comic books and things like that, but we don't have anything from the Mandalorian. And I I started thinking because in the Enclave scene here, we get more information that there was a purge after with the yes. Empire. Mm-hmm. And so we know the Mandalorians were not necessarily this way in the Clone Wars and Rebels. And we know Bo-Katan obviously was the leader of Mandalore to take a, to go up against the Empire, et cetera, et cetera. It certainly appears that Bo-Katan and her followers and, and the Mandalorians that, that went behind her or whatever, they failed. Mm-hmm. And they got their butts kicked. And the Mandalorians went running. And instead of Mandalore being a place, it's now a way of life. And I think that's fascinating. And again, it's almost like they're taking it back to kind of some EU concepts of the Mandalorians and like the Karen Travis novels and like the Django Fett comics and stuff where they're just like this warrior nomad tribe that'll kind of take in anybody that wants to be a Mandalorian and is willing to sort of pledge themselves to that way of life rather than just like a race of people that come from a certain planet. Um, Which I think is really cool because obviously we know Dave Filoni is involved in this. And so it's not like he's retconning what he did in Clone Wars. I think he's making it all fit within the timeline. Like in Clone Wars, it seemed like all of the Mandalorians were just on the planet Mandalore. And then they also had their moon Concordia, but like it really was kind of one race of people and they had their warrior past and everything like that. But also we saw a lot of like their their pacifist government and all that kind of stuff. Um, then they expanded on that a little bit in Rebels and showed like, OK, so the Mandalorians are on some different planets and they've got some different factions. And some of them do still kind of ascribe to that warrior way, but they're more like peacekeepers and sentinels. And, you know, they're still not like out trying to conquer the galaxy or whatever. They're not all Death Watch. Um, but there's just some different, like Rebels showed us some more facets to the the Mandalorian culture that we didn't see in Clone Wars. Um, and we saw Mandalorians that were siding with the Empire and Mandalorians that were fighting against the Empire. And there was kind of like a little, little civil war there. And at least where Rebels ended, it seemed like the the side that was opposing the Empire was the side that won. And that now, you know, these Mandalorians were maybe going to go on to try to fight and free themselves from Imperial control. And like you said, Paul... Uh, it doesn't seem like it went well because they're referencing this purge and uh, 
talking about how the Empire basically wiped them out and wiped out their way of life. And we don't know if this enclave here is all of the Mandalorians that are left or if they're just kind of scattered throughout the galaxy and this is one little group of them. Uh, but I would definitely be interested to find out, like, what happened during that purge. What is going on on Mandalore right now? Like, you know, does the planet even still exist? Like, are there still Mandalorians there? Like, sort of what is the state of um, the Mandalorians throughout the galaxy, I guess? Um, but that I, was one of those things that, like, was they kind of hinted at in the first episode when we saw this Mandalorian enclave yeah. for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a feeling that, like, over the course of this show that it wasn't going to focus on just the main character, that we were going to see other Mandalorians at some point and get to know more about Mandalorian culture and stuff. But we got a lot more in these first three episodes than I was expecting to get this early on in the show. And they kind of teased it in the first episode and then blew the lid off of it here in the third episode. Yeah, I think that with... And I love the idea that when you have the you, you have Dave Filoni who's bringing in these the more EU elements, and, and I, I don't know the EU Mandalorian ways as much as um, or not at all really to be honest. I don't I don't have a huge knowledge in that because it's basically of, what you're seeing here. Well, right. Well, I because I, I know Karen Travis did a lot of stuff in in the in those books, and and I definitely feel like I read a lot of comics with them in in it. You know, with the Knights of, Knights of the Old Republic and uh, the uh, Boba Fett and Jango Fett comics, they definitely explored a lot of those ideas. And de I definitely agree with you. It's more of a way of life than you were a you're born there, et cetera, et cetera. And George kind of put, took that whole idea and kind of turned it on its head. I love that Dave Filoni is kind of is taking that idea, but in really running with it, and I don't want to say retconning, but really doing something different, where the purge happens, and we don't, and obviously it takes a total U-turn for the for the culture, and I don't think this is the only Mandalorian uh, thing out there besides you know besides the planet. I think they're scattered everywhere throughout the planet. I think that's why they're kind of in hiding. And you even see here Paz Vizsla say, you know, we can only go out one at a time. What's interesting mm -hmm. is how who decides goes one at a time. Like who decides that the Mandalorian, this character, is allowed to go out and they have to stay in. It's really fascinating to me. And I, I, that's the stuff I want to know. And what I here's what I'm wondering. And hear me out. And I'll let you go in, Matt. I, I apologize yeah, yeah. for talking no, too man. much. So yeah. my my question is this: What? How are we going to get the explanation of the, the Mandalorian ways and in, in, in that purge? Just like how we're waiting for the Clone Wars and the the Battle on Mandalore, the Siege of Mandalore, and we're, we're eventually going to get that in a couple of months here. And we're all I know we're all really excited about that. But when are we going to get the uh, some kind of depiction of the the great purge of the Empire versus the Mandalorians? Because we know it's there. Let me tell you something. We're playing a video game right now called Jedi Fallen Order. What mm -hmm. if we got the purge of Mandalore in a video game format? Think about that. How insane would that be? Yeah, I mean, that would yeah. be pretty dang cool. But we're only three episodes into the show. So I think we're going to get a lot more information about that over the course no, of the I know, series. No, I know. But to actually see it, though, and depict it and, and tell that story, that's what I mean. I don't think we're going to get that in this series. I, I I just don't think so. I think that's ripe for the ancillary material. And that's why I think either – I don't want a novel. I'm, I'm anything Because the novels are all, in my opinion, not – they're not essential. Most of them are not worth really reading, but the comic books, which again, I don't want to be a homer because I'm a giant comic book fan. I feel the comic books are way more substantial than the books and in the video games now too. So 
playing Jedi Fallen Order recently, I want to, I, I think that would be a great way to, to, to explain the purge and the Mandalorians versus the Empire is in a video game and, and explain why they had to go by, you know, having an army of Mandalorians take on, you know, this, the, the legion and legions of uh, imperial troops. So I don't know, but either way, we're going to get that story. And it's probably going to be fleshed out and, and not the TV show, which I'm totally fine with. So, but that's, what's so fascinating to me is how exactly is this going to be explained? And I, and, and I think it's fascinating. And in classic, this is classic star Wars by giving us great backstory without having to over explain it and just give us little tidbits here or there that makes us go, oh, what does that mean? Like the battle to NAB or, or whatever, right? Like these little throwaway comments. They're talking about the great purge. What is that? What, how, you know, you can explain what it is, but we, I want to actually see what it is. That's what excites us. And we want to know what and see what it is. So I, I, I'm excited to see what and what they come up with. Do you think that, well, here's the thing too. Like, I think that this purge storyline could be something that they roll throughout the season one. One and season two. Yeah, I um, think you're right. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because right now we know that this group lives in the shadows. They talk about living in the shadows, and um, I just think. Do you guys think at all that this purge could be somewhat of what we're seeing in this flash, these flashback scenes, or you think that's just how that's, the Mandalorian yeah. came to be on his own and the Mandalorian? I, do you think that that purge falls I think into that line? Or? I think yeah. it's just Mandalorian. Yeah, I yeah. think it's just showing the main character's backstory, which, by the yeah. way, I know some people are saying like, oh, I hope we get to see his face or he eventually takes his helmet off. I'm fine if they go the entire series and he never takes his helmet off, but I hope we find sure. out his name. Like, and I know you, Pedro you Pascal will. has yeah, mentioned it in an interview, but like, I want to find out in the show sooner rather than later so that we can stop calling him the Mandalorian when now we know there are a <laughs> bunch of other Mandalorians. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I apologize. Uh, I I think that that's the whole reason they are giving him a name eventually is the fact that Mandalorians are going to be in this in the show, besides him. So yeah, um, yeah I, I think that's very. I think that's that's the reason why he's eventually going to get his real name ex, uh, explained or revealed because of that reason. Because I I. I mean, there's someone I could talk for hours about the Mandalorian, but I, I, so I got to shut my mouth, but I, I just think that there's a reason why we're going to see Mandalorians in the show, a crap load, obviously. And I, it's, it's, yeah. So I think that's why we're going to get it sooner than later. So, um, to finish out this enclave scene, obviously they start building his armor. We get uh, introduced to a new catchphrase. We already have one catchphrase. Third episode, we got a new catchphrase. This is the way. Uh, so the new phrase that the Mandalorians speak to each other. Um, and did you guys notice the the knives when, when uh, was it Paz Vizsla and the Mandalorian kind of were not, knife to knife? Did you notice that they were vibrating? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just okay. like in the, uh, the Trandoshans, uh, vibro axes were doing the same thing. Okay. In uh, the second episode, because yeah. but but you can't really tell because they they don't stand still for very long, so you could it, it, it's almost like a blink and you miss it thing. And, but right. they definitely do the same thing, and and they're the same weapons that they have in uh, Return of the Jedi. So because I always wondered how do vibro axes go up against lightsabers? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Now I'm like, 
Oh, because <laughs> oh, okay. Like they're actually gonna give us a reason. Got it. Yeah, they put the yeah. vibro in vibroblade finally. It makes right. now everything makes a lot more sense. I'm not gonna lie. So, <laughs> so uh, to finish out, like I said, to finish out the scene, we also get obviously when they're making the armor, you get the flashbacks again. So we get to see a little more of the flashback. And I and I, until I know otherwise, I'm assuming this is kind of the Clone Wars era. Mm -hmm. And the one question I had, guys, of coming out of this, and and if you have any thoughts, let me know. Um, the Mando or you know his parents get killed by the super battle droid we see the opening of the hatch the super battle droid was there and then also it cuts my question is wait a minute then who saves the mandalorian could you're talking about clone wars era could dave filoni just bring in somebody to out of the blue anakin i, I know they won't do that but can you you're, imagine if they did do something like that just, you're speaking just, my language you know I mean? matt you know what i mean yeah yeah it's just like Oh my gosh, that'd be so cool! Just a, a one, just like oh, this is what happened in the like a side adventure. You know, the, Anakin's cutting down battle droids. He just happens to cut down a battle droid that was going to kill the Mando. Like just the in universe thought of that, just like oh, blow my mind. They're not going to do it, but that's just where my mind goes. Sometimes. Never say you know never. I mean? Like, <laughs> and I I thought the same thing. We I talked about this on the Saga Continues a couple of weeks ago when we uh, we reviewed like the last trailer that came out before the show. Um, and we saw like a brief clip of that flashback where you saw super battle droids chasing people. And I thought, oh, because when I first saw that in the trailer, I thought that it was like in the present day and somebody had reactivated some old super battle droids or something. And then I was like, yo, what if that's a flashback to the Clone Wars? And it's like him as a kid and his planet's getting taken over by the Separatists. And then what if we did see like Anakin or Obi-Wan or Ahsoka or Yoda, okay. yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, come and save him or something? I'm starting to think now I mean, the the way that might make more sense story wise is I'm like, well, what if he gets saved by and I don't know why this would happen, but like if he got saved by the Death Watch, by like Pre Vizsla or Bo-Katan mm -hmm. or something, and that's what inspired him to join the Mandalorians or even, yeah. you know, if he just got saved by some Mandalorians. But then I'm like, but back then those guys were fighting with the Separatists. So why would they be? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, but yeah. then, I mean, Pre Vizsla eventually turned against Count Dooku and they did have a little falling out. I mean, we never see the Mandal we never see the Mandalorians like fighting a separatist army or anything like that. Um, so yeah, part of me thinks that he might get saved by some Mandalorians and that's what inspires him to join right. the Mandalorians. Um, that make more sense. But it also would be, again, like you said, just knowing that Dave Filoni is involved and in knowing those little <laughs> callbacks that he throws in there, um, yeah. And especially with the way that ends, you see, the, you know, he's hiding in the bunker and then you see an explosion outside and we assume that's where his parents died. But then the bunker opens back up and there's a super battle standing right over him unless he's like force sensitive and he's going to push it away himself. Yeah, right. right. I think yeah. something obviously is going to have to save him from that. And I think it's going to be some kind of cool big reveal, whether it's a Jedi or a Mandalorian or something else. I hope it's something that, you know, makes us go, whoa, rather than just yes. like, you know. I, I, yeah, th you like know, like the other thing yeah. that maybe could happen is maybe this is happening like right at the end, like it's happening during the same time as Revenge of the Sith. And so maybe this is when the droid army is just going to shut down. But that would be kind of anticlimactic if that super oh, battle definitely. droid just deactivated and falls over. I'm with you. I'm hoping to see Anakin <laughs> or Ahsoka in live action just come yeah. and cut that thing down. I don't care if it has no connection to the rest of the story. I'd be losing my mind. <laughs> Paul, are we, are we talking crazy here? What do you think? You guys are all crazy. Let's be real. <laughs> um, but, but 
Yeah. There's there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of different angles you can go with no, this is, yeah. re- re- reveal. And this is yeah. again part of the genius of the show. There's the angle of Obi Wan Kenobi because Deborah Chow is the showrunner or uh, head director of yeah. the Kenobi series coming up, and she directed this episode and strongly hints that he's going to get saved by someone because there's battle droids putting a ju- or a super super battle droid is putting his blaster fist right at her right at his face and you know and obviously someone's got to come and save him and it's clone wars era so and then she comes back um to direct another episode later this in the season so maybe whoever eventually saves him is revealed in her episode which then could be kenobi there's that angle yeah there's the angle that yoda's the one that saves him because that's why he goes back to save the child in the first place because reminds him of yoda he saved him so he should save yoda i like that angle mm. there's one that there's one that i think um is underrated and maybe we haven't talked about yet and i, I think it's a dark horse i don't think it's likely but there's a couple reasons why i think it's possible Ahsoka. And the reason why I say Ahsoka is not because Dave Filoni is executive producer, blah, blah, blah. I get that. But I think that Ahsoka would be interesting because if they wanted to do something with Ahsoka later on in, in, in Disney Plus, if you could introduce that character now and have her save him, because I think it's possible that that's who eventually gets Baby Yoda mm. is Ahsoka. Mm. And so... I think if that was, and if if I'm thinking that, you have to start laying down the seeds of that somewhere where he has to know a Jedi at some point, and whoever that person, I think whoever saves him right there, Mandalorian's a good point, but I th- I think it's either it's a it's one of the it's one of the three in my opinion. I think that if I'm a betting man, it's one of the three, and I think she's a dark horse because she's out there. She's they haven't done anything with her yet. You can't give Baby Yoda to Luke. So it's not going to go into Luke anywhere. Ahsoka has to be that person. And I think that's a good way to introduce a live action Ahsoka, even though she's much younger. You don't have to cast uh, the same actress to play that older Ahsoka. It can be a younger Ahsoka. But you can start getting that idea right there that Ahsoka is, that that's where they're kind of aiming at. And that's where I think my Dark Horse is. I think it's probably Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, but I think Dark Horse is it, or it's either Obi-Wan or Yoda. But my dark horse is Ahsoka, and I think that that's who I—that's who I ultimately think will get Baby Yoda is Ahsoka Tano. Hmm. Hey, I'd be good with any of those, honestly. Like just that connection to uh, the stuff we've seen Clone Wars and and, and prequel stuff would be pretty awesome. So, I, hey, I'm in for all, any of those. It doesn't matter to me. Um, but yeah, that was just a, a really serious question that I had coming out of that. So we get the great shot, guys, of the Mando walking into the—I guess we'll call it the bar with his brand new shiny armor, and he just looks B.A., man. He just strutting in with his Beskar armor. Mm-hmm. Great shot of that. Okay, can I can Ooh. I really fast? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I apologize. I don't mean to interrupt. I no, just no. have to say this really, really, really quick. I'm going to say something very unpopular, and I think okay. you guys are going to want to throw popcorn at me. Okay. All right? So, and Kyle, I think you especially are going to be like, <laughs> what? Oh, my God. So just bear with me, okay? I liked his old armor better. Really? Yeah, I like the brown. I thought I think he looks way. Co- I think he looks more tough with the brown armor, and I think he looks way too clean. I, this is nitpicks. I mean, I still like it, but it looks jangwish to me. 
Yeah, which is fine, but I like the dirty, like gruffed up brown stuff, man. Yeah. Give well, me that poopy arm, man. That's I, all I gotta say. I'll I'll hang on to my popcorn, Paul, because I kind of agree with you. Um, no way! I don't. No way. I'm I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. I think I think maybe I just need time to warm up to the new look. I mean, I because when he walked in and like it did look freaking cool, right? It's you know he's head to toe decked out in the the shiny Beskar, and you know that stuff is tough, and he's gonna be taking blaster bolts off it from stormtroopers left and right and everything. But I had already. You know, I liked his old look. Um, so I don't know. I, I like both. It's, but you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to pick a clear favorite, but I think gut reaction, like the first time I watched it, I was like, eh, that looks cool. But I think his other look was a little more unique. Um, but then the more I watch it, the more I'm like, eh, okay, it's kind of growing on me. It's growing on me. I don't think it looks yeah. bad, but I, if I had to pick, I, I just think his brown armor looks just way more, just cooler in my opinion, but mm. that's just my opinion. I don't think it looks bad. I yeah. just, I, it's a little too shiny for me. Let's yeah. get it I mean, it's, it's one of those things where like, just from a purely visual standpoint, yeah, I think maybe I like the brown looked a little more unique, but at the same time, I'm like, if I put myself in his shoes, obviously like just being invested in the main character, I'm glad he has the best car armor, you know, like, cause you know how tough it's going to be. And I want to see him like in a blaster fight where there's stuff just pinging off the armor and he's, you know, not taking yeah. a scratch. So, um, so I'm I'm happy for him that he's got a you know cool new set of armor. Yeah, I like the shiny stuff. I mean, I like I said, it, it does have that Django Titan vibe to it. It's mm -hmm. just so shiny in the silver. Um, so I, I just thought it was you know the way he walked in, you could tell he was like just flaunting that like look at me, man. I am just I am it. So he comes in, uh, Kyle. Um, he meets with uh, Grief Karga again. Again, he's asking about, you know, the ba baby Yoda, what's going on. And Karga again explains, hey, you know, it's, it's it's against the code to ask that stuff. And then we get the second part of the setup that we got from the first, uh, the, 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 the man goes back to his ship. He's uh, getting ready to fire everything up and he reaches for that handle again to lift off. And he notices the, the ball is still off and on the, uh, control area there. He picks it up and kind of looks at it and then uh, has a change of heart, which I think a lot of people were just like, I know my son was watching with me and he's like, before we got to that point, he's like, oh man, I can't believe he's leaving baby Yoda. And uh, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, just wait a minute or two and see what happens. And sure enough, you know, he was like excited when he found out that, uh, oh, he's, he, you know, he turns everything off and he gets out and he walks back. So, um, you know, I think a lot of us probably saw that coming, but hey, it was a pretty cool misdirect and trying to throw everybody off the scent. But you no, know, he's going back. And again, the second part of this three-part payoff here. So uh, anyway, yeah, he so he, he goes back and then, um, and this section is where the client, and he, he takes his, uh, his uh, pulse rifle Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Matt, on, before we yeah. get too far into this part, I wanted to jump back to something real quick when um, okay. before he goes back to the ship, when he's talking to Grief Karga, there was just a, a cool yeah. little bit of universe building because um, we've heard about some of this behind the scenes as far as the time period and the the lawlessness and the, you know, the way things are after the fall of the Empire. But we haven't really mm -hmm. gotten too much into that in the show yet as far as like what the state of the galaxy is as a whole yet. Um, and sure. when he's when he's talking to Grief Karga and he says, uh, you know, again, he's acting like, hey, do you know what they're going to do with the kid? And he's like, 
you know, don't worry about it. It's not our job to ask questions. And he's like, yeah, but this isn't like a normal client. Like this is the empire. Like they're probably up to no good. They're not even supposed to be around anymore. Um, and, uh, grief Karga says something like, well, if you're so concerned about it, like go back to the core and tell the new Republic and have them come out here and deal with it. And he's like, oh, you know, they're not going to do anything. Um, and so it's cool to just kind of get through the lens of these characters, a little bit of an idea of, uh, where the new Republic stands. And, you know, we know that they're sort of the centralized government of the galaxy, but they're sort of still building in the core worlds. And I'm assuming we're out in the outer rim and they really have no control out there. And there's little pockets of, uh, Imperial remnants that are still kind of doing their own thing. Um, yeah. And they, again, the technically like they fall under the jurisdiction of the new Republic or the new Republic would try to stop them. But it's like out here, there's really nothing they could do about it. So um, I just thought it was cool to bring that up and hear them, you know, mention just kind of what's going on as far as the politics and the state of the galaxy as a whole. Yeah. They even, even mentions that the new Republic and the man was like, Oh, they're, they're a waste. Or he says something about, you know, blows off the new Republic. Like, yeah, they don't, they're not nothing. So yeah, I know that was actually, actually really good. I, I forgot to write that down, but that's kind of an important part of that scene too. Uh, uh, Paul, we were just kind of going over this this last scene where the 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 Mandalorian kind of changes his mind. And one of the questions that I posed to myself, and I kind of answered it myself, but I was like, okay, he's going back for the baby. Why all of a sudden this Mandalorian who just goes out and collects bounties, why all of a sudden does he change his mind over this Yoda? And I think they've done a good job of setting up why he did it. And my own canon was just like, well, I think what did it for him was when he saw this child use the force on on the uh, mudworm, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you know, this this is a special uh, special being for whatever reason, and I think that kind of changes his mind. Do you guys have any thoughts on on possibly why the sudden change of of heart, Paul? Or um, go ahead, Paul. Start with you. Um, I, I think that he just relates to the child. I think I think. Okay. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think obviously the, I think that he's, um, that he relates to him because he is, was a foundling himself and then yeah, he's yeah. Open, he was saved. He wasn't just left for dead that like he very easily could have been it. See, as we're, I'm assuming. And I think also he sees the force ability and I think, and again, maybe he's not very familiar with the force and that's why he's, you know, maybe that's why he's kind of interested in the kid as well. But I think that also goes back to why he was saved. If we assume it's one of the three people that I think it is, then him seeing the force knows it's a big deal and that is yeah. they do good, you know? So I kind of feel that there is a, the, the force definitely is playing a part in, in a lot of this, it, but I, I ultimately think that he went back because he, he just could not bear the, to lead this child with these, with these people and not knowing what they're going to do with them. And that's ultimately what I think is why he went back. I think the force definitely influenced the heavily influenced that because he really, he, he saved his life essentially when he didn't have to, just like what he says in the enclave, he said, you know, uh, I can't, I can't take the mudhorn as my signet because I had help. You know, you know who you know. My enemy helped me. Or he, you know, why why would an enemy help you? And he, and he says he didn't know I was its enemy. And that was right, really right. that was really powerful for me. And that's what made me kind of go, huh? And and it made me realize that like that's why I think ultimately I, a big reason why he went back to save it because it's an innocent child. But 
it did save him and he used the force and he knew it was, it's more than what's going on. And I think he realized that he had to do the right thing. So I definitely feel like it played a part. I don't think it was the, I think ultimately the reason was he related to the child more than anything. Yeah. Got any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, kind of just a lot of what Paul said, I think there, you know, you could look at it a few different ways, like, um, him seeing the baby using the force and realizing, oh, there's something special about this kid or him relating to it because the child is all alone by itself. And, you know, he was an orphan as a kid. And so kind of seeing it almost like a, a kindred spirit in a way um, or feeling like he owes this child for saving his life. But at the end of the day, all that stuff kind of adds layers to it. But, you know, just as humans, you would think, you know, it, you could imagine anybody being a bounty hunter and being paid to hand over a baby to some shady people and having second thoughts about it. So, um, yeah. I think, you know, it's just yeah. showing that even though this guy is, uh, you know, pretty, uh, rough and tough and cold hearted. And, um, I mean, we haven't seen him like straight up just murder people. I mean, I guess he did disintegrate a lot of Jawas, but you know, he has no qualms <laughs> about yeah. shooting people or kidnapping people yeah. or whatever, but he still has enough of a conscience that, uh, you know, he meets this child and obviously forms a connection with it and knows that there's something special about this child and he's not quite willing to just turn a blind eye to whatever the Empire is going to do to it. Right. I think I think like, I think you guys are right. It's like a multitude of things. Like I said, I think they really have set up why why he would go back. And that was, was one of the things that kind of stood out to me. It's just, man, this thing is special. And I got to, you know, I got to find out more and, and save this thing. And um, and we get to this great scene with the client and Dr. Pershing. Uh, the Mando is kind of zooming in and listening in on their conversation. There's two things that I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, and I had to put on the closed captioning because I really wanted to understand exactly what they said. The first in, the first um, sentence is, uh, the client says, extract the necessary material. And then um, he also says, he explicitly ordered us to bring it back alive. Pershing says this portion of it, he goes, he explicitly. So a couple of things there, hmm. extract the necessary material. I mean, a lot of us are thinking, well, it's some kind of clone thing. And then the second thing is, wow, is this another character that, you know, when he says he explicitly ordered us to bring it back alive, who is the quote unquote he? And is that going to be another one of these great reveals of who else is involved in this bringing this? And I think those are two really, really cool sentences that kind of if you don't pay attention you kind of go over your head Kyle you have any thoughts on those that's pretty interesting huh? well I'm glad you watched it with the closed captions on because I missed the second part I know he t I, I heard him yeah. talk about uh, extracting material but um, I missed that part about saying like he ordered us to bring it back alive so um, yeah. yeah that's a good question as to who that he could be I and mean, we know that uh, there's the character that I think like Giancarlo Esposito is supposed to be playing some imperial moth um, right. he's the one that we've seen in the trailers with like the death troopers and he flies the tie fighter mm. that the Mandalorian is climbing on. And so maybe these guys answer to him, um, or maybe that it could be, could be yeah. some other Imperial character. Like you said, it could be a surprise reveal, somebody that we've met before or something like that. Um, maybe it's Snoke. It I mean, Snoke. it could be, <laughs> it, it very it's well could Snoke. be, <laughs> Hey, you never know. I mean, this is hey, post empire and we don't know anything about this guy. That would blow my <laughs> mind, man. Um, but as far as, you know, then wanting the material, I mean, I think the two options there, like you said, they maybe want to clone this child, or I think maybe they just know that it's force sensitive and maybe rather than trying to clone the child specifically and make themselves like an army of Yodas, maybe they're trying to extract, uh, 
and I don't know that they would want to get back into this, but even midi chlorians, maybe they're just trying to study what yeah. makes it force sensitive, right. and maybe they're trying to create some like force augmented super soldiers or something. Um, but rather than again, just cloning a bunch of baby Yodas that are going to take 900 years to grow, maybe they're going to try to try to extract his DNA and then make some like force sensitive death troopers or something. I don't know. Yeah. I think that oh, there's, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's so many different angles you can go with what, what, what he said. And I think that's what makes this show so exciting is that even for star Wars fans, we don't really know what it means. And it could mean multiple things. It could be he's a template or he was part of the template. Like what exactly is he a template of? It, you know, we don't know. It could, he could be a clone. He could be a potential person or thing to clone from. We just don't know exactly. And I think that's what's really interesting about this character and is that there's a mystery behind it besides just the fact that it's a baby Yoda and we don't know exactly what it, where it comes from because of the we don't know the species anything about the species other than there's a yoda and yaddle and now baby yoda so that to me i love the idea i don't i have no idea what um as far as extracting exactly what or what the basis is but what i do think is the person they're referring to is the uh the other uh, imperial person we haven't seen yet, uh, Espinoza, is that his name? Uh, Gideon, yeah, um, imperial um, governor. Is it Governor Gideon or not Governor? I think Gideon. it's Moff. Yeah, I forgot they Moff, revealed yeah, his Moff name Gideon. already. Yeah, Moff Gideon. Yeah, yeah, Moff. Yeah, Moff, Moff Gideon. I think it's Moff Gideon because he shows yeah. up again. I don't think it's Snoke. I don't think it's Emperor. I think it's Moff Gideon. They're trying to do something. Obviously, they're, they want to clone it for for sensitivity. I think, I think that's obvious. But how and why and what? They got that material from the clone. Is if if he is a clone or me, me, he being Baby Yoda, it remains to be seen. But but yeah, I, I think it's definitely referring to Moff Gideon. Yeah, now that, that seems like the most logical uh, as far as the story goes and what we've seen so far from the previews. Um, but it, it, like you guys are right, it just it, some of the stuff is just so wide open. That, that's what makes it so exciting. Is they can go as simple as like you're saying, is this Gideon character, or they can go even farther. It's somebody in the first order or the fledgling first order if it's even you know it's it's just it's just so wide open it's so cool to see or to hear things like that and you're like wow where can this go so many possibilities but um but uh we'll get back to the story they uh you know they the mandalorian decides to take back the child he goes in and confronts uh dr pershing uh takes the baby back and we get the stormtrooper fight guys and this is crazy like this is what, like we were talking about earlier about Boba Fett, which we wanted to see some of the stuff. Like in this fight, I counted like, okay, he uses his blaster, flamethrower, his, I'll just call it grappling hook, I'm not sure what else to call it. He uses the pulse rifle and he uses his whistling birds. Five separate, uh, you know, things he uses on his tool belt to get through this stormtrooper uh, fight. It's just like, how awesome is that? I mean, come on, Paul, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think that whole end scene was just incredible. I, I, I This is where I'm really confident in, in Deborah Chow's uh, direction. I thought that whole scene with him going through the the uh, Imperial, uh, you know, thing and, and taking the, and taking baby Yoda was incredible. And, you know, yeah. obviously, you know, stuff at the end, too. I mean, but yeah, I, I thought that the, the way that was shot and, and definitely at small scale and it. it it definitely, I it definitely felt small, 
in certain when I rewatched it on certain time, you know, the last couple of times I rewatched it. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say when I when I first watched it, I wasn't thinking that. It just was it was really well done and, and very tight. And mm-hmm. I liked that. I thought it, w- it went really, really well. And I, I thought she did an amazing job with that directing and uh, and giving us the the flashlights and all that stuff. It was very, very cool. I loved it. And uh, like you said, that he uses everything in his in his bag of tricks, and yeah. it was amazing <laughs> to see. Yeah, yeah, I think Kyle, my, think I think my favorite part of the whole thing, just of that sequence where he like infiltrates the Imperial base, there's a shot where he's facing off against a couple stormtroopers in a hallway and he takes one of them out and then the stormtroopers like lying on the ground and it's sort of in the foreground of the camera while in the sort of in the background you see him fighting the other stormtrooper and like beating him up and it kind of happens off screen like I don't know if you remember the yeah. part I'm talking about. Um, and then he like, he punches him a couple times, knocks him out and you think, okay, he's down. And then he still just like shoots him while he's down. And it was like, Oh snap. Wasn't expecting that. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, just seeing him bust out the whole Mandalorian toolkit. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, not quite the same skill, but like the pre Vizsla versus Darth Maul lightsaber duel, you know, where you see him with the darts and the cable and the flamethrower and the jetpack. Like, I just love seeing Mandalorians fight with all their different weapons and tools and stuff. Um, and it was cool to see those, what are they called, like whistling birds? Um, whistling birds, that yeah. The, uh, yeah. The armorer mentioned earlier, and she said, um, you know, oh, since you, since I can't make you a signet because you don't want, you know, the mudhorn is your signet because it wasn't an honorable kill or whatever. She said, I've got some excess uh, uh, Beskar from this. And so, you know, instead of a signet, I'll make you whistling birds. And she mentions, you know, use them sparingly and they can be used against multiple enemies or something. So I knew those were going to come into play at some point. Um, and that was really cool. I mean, he gets surrounded by stormtroopers, puts the baby down and just shoots out these teeny little tracking missiles <laughs> that just fly around the room and take everybody out. And that was really cool. Yeah. Great setup. Like you said, in the enclave scene where they kind of mention what they do and they're like, bingo, they, they, we get to use them right away. That's really awesome. So obviously guys, we get to our main attraction, the thing that really, uh, blew up the internet before I actually saw this thing. Everybody was talking about this crazy thing that's going on. Well, first of all, he takes the baby, he gets through the stormtroopers, and he's walking back to his ship. And we get the John Wick moment. I don't know if you guys caught that, where all the fobs start going off. Yeah. And it's like, okay, open season on, on The Mandalorian. You guys get that? Yeah. Was I I, did, I haven't seen the John Wick movie, so I didn't catch if it was a reference oh, to that. Oh, wow. But Holy was, mackerel, uh, you better watch those. Yeah, I know. Movies. I've heard they're good. <laughs> um, but it was still it was still just a really cool shot. I mean, he he leaves the Imperial base or whatever with the baby, and then it cuts to the bar that all the bounty hunters are hanging out at, and you just see them. You know, one guy gets a ping, and then they all start pinging, yeah. and soon you know the whole bar is filled with blinking red lights, and then even Grief Karga's got one. And, you know, uh, and I mean, even the way they all looked at him when he came in with the best car and you could kind of tell, like, everybody's giving him dirty looks and he got the bounty that they all wanted. Um, yeah. And now that he's the target, you just know everybody's going to be out for him. Yeah. I, I'm wild. You guys probably that probably kind of went over your head a little bit. I know the people who watched John Wick, that uh, was like a huge is like the slap in your face. That was like right out of John Wick. Um, but uh, they get all alerted and we get the standoff with Grief Karga and the rest of the, I guess we'll call them guild members, and and the Mandalorian who, uh, you know, thinks about it for a second, and then he does he shoots one, he does this crazy little roll into the speeder, and then it's just uh, all heck breaks loose. And guys, like I said, this thing was blowing up the internet, um, and it actually kind of surprised me because my mind was going somewhere else, but 
uh, Kyle, the 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 arrival of the rest of the the Mandalorians. I mean, what a wow, crazy moment, huh? I lost my freaking mind. Um, I was watching this with my wife and we had a friend over to watch it as well. And kind of like you, Matt, I mean, my wife likes star Wars. Like she's kind of a casual fan. Like we're going to, you know, we've, we've got our tickets to go see uh, rise of Skywalker on opening night together. Like she's seen all the movies and, you know, she knows enough that like, we'll talk about it sometimes. Um, but I mean, she's not on my level of like hardcore fandom and stuff, but she really loves this show. Um, and so, you know, it's fun to watch it with her and see how much she's enjoying it. But as, as all those Mandalorians were just flying over the arch into the square with the jetpacks and blasting everybody, she was laughing at me and going, I think they broke Kyle. Cause I was just, I think I just went, Holy crap. And then I just sat there with yeah. my jaw hanging open the entire Ooh. scene. And then I was texting a buddy of mine about it later. And I made the comparison. I said, that scene with all the Mandalorians flying in, that's the Vader hallway scene from rogue one for Mandalorian fans. Like yeah. one of those moments that's just pure fan service, but like still fits in the story and doesn't take you out or anything like it works within the story itself. But it also is just such a cool fanboy geek out moment. Um, you know, the kind of stuff that like we've seen in Clone Wars, obviously with huge battles on Mandalore and stuff, but never seen just this scale of Mandalorian action um in live action before so it was just really awesome and like you said i my mind was kind of going a different direction too because you know the mandalorian has taken out a bunch of the bounty hunters and stuff but they kind of close in and they've got them surrounded um and then he's he's hungered down over uh the baby and he like he's been sleeping through this whole thing he's got his eyes closed and then he he slowly opens his eyes and i'm starting to think um, oh, is he going to use the force again? Like we're going to see some bounty hunters just start floating and then the Mandalorian is going to have right. easy targets to pick off. Um, but then even when you saw that rocket fly overhead, I was wondering like, whoa, who the heck is that? Is somebody flying in in a spaceship? Like I know Cara Dune's not supposed to be until the next episode, but does she make like a last minute entrance in here? Like I, for whatever reason, my mind wasn't thinking about the Mandalorians. Um, either. And just when they all started flying in, man, it was... So freaking cool. And I love how this connects to we didn't really talk about that sort of the confrontation with him and Paz Vizsla and how they have their obviously their differences over the Empire and how he got the best car and everything. But then the armor is almost kind of like a mom, like calming down two fighting kids. And she's like, hey, have you ever removed your helmet? He's like, no. Have you ever uh, has it ever been removed from you by an enemy? He's like, no. Um, and she basically gets them to realize like hey knock it off we're all mandalorians there's only a few of us left we've got to stick together to survive and so even you know they have to put their differences aside and that's when you know they both say like this is the way and so i like that even though you see that there's that aggressive tension that these guys are all warriors and they're all kind of ready to be at each other's throats at a moment's notice there's also this code and this culture um that unites them all and so even though he was kind of on shaky ground with them earlier, they're there for him in that moment when it counts and when he needs the most. Um, and then even Paz Vizsla comes in flying down with his giant freaking minigun and, you know, <laughs> just blasting guys. And I was oh, it's yeah. so freaking cool. And then uh, our, you know, again, I hate calling him the Mandalorian in a scene with a bunch of Mandalorians, but our main character, you know, he turns to him and says, um, man, you know, you guys coming out here and doing this for me, like we've been in hiding for so long, we're going to have to relocate. Like you guys came out of hiding. You're not going to be able to be here anymore. And he just says, this is the way. Um, yeah. And it was just oh, so cool. So cool to see that Mandalorian camaraderie and that culture 
um, and have that fleshed out in this episode on top of what is just a freaking awesome action scene. Paul, man, I've, I've seen straight out of, you know, Clone Wars or the, or the Rebels. I mean, crazy scene. What'd you think? It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, so I had friends telling me, cause I, cause I have a new, a new system now. I jump off social media around anything Star Wars related. Mm-hmm. And, um, when it's coming out, the exception of like, you know, resistance, I, I, I don't really care about that. And I, I and I like resistance for the mo- It's okay. I'm, I'm going to watch it eventually. I, I've watched the first season. I'm going to eventually watch the second season. But Rebels, we all, all kind of came out all around the same time. So it was it was kind of we all went and watched it all together at the same time. But with um, for the most part, but with with movies and this live action stuff now, I jump off like the day before. As soon as people are able to get it soon, I jump out and I try to avoid things. And I've had so many people tell me I'm going to lose my mind when I when I watch this episode. I, I thought we were going to get like Baby Yoda going somewhere. Like I thought there would be a big reveal with, her, with, with him. And so when 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 this was happening, I was thinking to myself, okay, someone's got to save him while he's going down and all these people are firing at him and all this stuff. And I remember when I was watching with my wife and I, I said out loud, are the Mandalorians going to come and save him? And this is before that he was stopped. He was just on, he was already moving at this point. And I, I just was like, who's going to save him? I, I didn't even think about, I said it out loud, but I totally forgot about it. And when that one gets blown up, I was like, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden you have all these Mandalorians show up. It was definitely fan service. Sure. And I know yeah. that, and I, that's a hot topic. That's a hot topic to say, to be honest, because that's a very, there's a very fine line of good and bad fan service. And I feel that fan service is not oftentimes is not bad. Okay. I'm going to say what I'm going to say what you said about the, the Beskar armor in the bar earlier, Paul tread carefully. Cause I'm about to throw popcorn at you. Well, hold on. <laughs> no, no, no. What, what, what I'm saying is that it's, I don't think this is bad fan service by any means. And I think that what, what oftentimes a lot of fans out in, in in a lot of people in fandom don't want, they want something different and, and they think fan service can pollute or whatever. I do not think that. And I think get, giving us what we want, that's what the Mandalorian is doing in a lot of ways is giving a lot of Star Wars fans, not all Star Wars fans, but a lot of Star Wars fans what they want. And in the meantime, these people who n- maybe didn't need to have Mandalorians show up and blow people up, they're seeing that and they're getting behind it now too. And I think that the, that's the thing is that it's being done so well that even though it's fan service, it really is serving a greater purpose and it's done. It's been executed in story wise. So beautifully, I think stylistically it's so beautifully and the costumes so beautifully, it's just a, a perfect execution all the way around. That's why everyone's getting behind it. So that moment is so powerful that's why it works. It's not just fan service, fan service for the sake of fan service. It is, but it also is serving so many different other things that that's why it's so good, in my opinion. And it is. It, it's it's phenomenal. And I loved 
it was a it was a dream come true for a lot of us who loved Boba Fett back in the '90s and, and grew up loving the Mandalorians and always wanted to know what and who Boba Fett was from. And seeing that on screen for the first time, that was live action, was incredible. And we all know that the, the Clone Wars did an amazing job before the Mandalorian and is yeah. some of the best Star Wars ever. I think is when the Mandalorian when 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 it's on Mandalore, with the exception of the Poison Kool Aid episode. And <laughs> so, um, but but I, I yeah, this was this was an incredible thing. I I think seeing the heavy Mandalorian Paz Vizsla in action, God, that was awesome. Uh, I cannot wait to have that Black Series figure. Woo! Um, and it obviously and when. I have to say when he's flying the razor crest and, and Paz Vizsla is up and he kind of gives him the salute and he's flying. I'm like, this is a total Iron Man moment. Like Favreau just oh, had sure. to put that, you know, had to put that little, little, and, and yeah. even though he didn't direct the episode. It's like, okay, we have, we have to have my character like as Iron Man out there, you know? And so, but he, they even shot it. Like he was like Iron Man. It just yeah. felt very, which is good. It was cool. It was a very cool callback. Um, it was amazing. I, I think, Here's the thing that people haven't, at least again, I haven't seen the circles that I, the cool circles that I hang out with. No, I'm just, just in general that I've seen people talk about the Mandalorian. The one thing that we have not discussed enough about that the, this scene causes is this. The show is only going to get bigger from that moment. Now, what I mean by that is that not every episode is going to get bigger from that. But the next time they introduce the Mandalorians, it's probably going to get bigger than that. Like, and not because they, it's, uh, you know, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they're not going to try to just keep doing that same exact scale there. You can tell Favreau is going to push the envelope as much as he can and how expensive the show is with, when the Mandalorians show up, they're just going to have to keep upping themselves because, that's just what you have to do. You don't want to just do the same thing. You're going to be, you know, people are going to point fingers and say, you're doing the same thing from that one episode. So they're going to, there's going to be a natural feeling of we have to do uh, even better this time. And that to me is what's not being talked about. And so when we have another episode, I'm not saying it's going to be next episode, but eventually when they have more Mandalorians show up for whatever reason, it's going to be even bigger than that. And you just think about it, if it's bigger than that, whoo, I mean, that's amazing, right? So, and by the way, before we move on, I just, it's it's because we're talking about the end of the episode. I love the scene where it was the, the camera was behind the Mandalorian flying the Razor Crest. And you see him take, going out of orbit of the planet. Like, yeah. that was suddenly really awesome. Did anyone else <laughs> think that? I love that. Like I, yeah. I watched it when we, were, when we were talking just for, you know, the last while. It didn't blame me for that. Uh, but uh, I, I was like, man, it's so cool. It's so amazing. But yeah, that, that ends an all-timer. That might be a, an all-time Star Wars moment. It's up there. Yeah. yeah. Kyle, I think I had I had the same thoughts as you did talking about this last uh, fight where the Mandalorian show up. Because they, they really do a good job of kind of misdirecting you again with, with, the, with the baby Yoda. Uh, like you said, you see him like, oh, man, is he going to use the force and do something and then like then they the Mandalorian show up so it was kind of a surprise to me but my other thought was in this few seconds I'm thinking okay baby Yoda doesn't come in I'm thinking again this goes back to fan service and my my love of Jedi I'm like could there be a you know a Cal Kestis type character coming in here to help save 
and, and of course, they didn't set anything up, and it would be kind of like out of nowhere. But that's, again, that's where my mind goes, like, oh, man, could, could some kind of Jedi come in and help out? Kind of like, you remember Kanan did in Rebels, where all of a sudden, like, he's just this guy, and then all of a sudden, when the Stormtroopers show up, it's like, he puts his lightsaber together, and they go, boom. He's like, you know, focus all your fire on the Jedi. You know, it's like one mm -hmm. of these crazy moments. Um, so that's kind of where my mind was going, but I think this was obviously the, the way to go and just the reveal of the Manos coming back to, to save their brother. And again, they go out with their their uh, catchphrase, uh, which is, this is the way. Just, yeah, a crazy scene, a, a fun scene. A lot of us that watch the Rebels and watch the Clone Wars, just like, oh man, like I said earlier, kind of right out of that show, right? Just It just reminded me of the Rebels so much. So, um I guess we'll finish it up, you know, like the end, like I said, the end kind of goes back to the middle and the beginning of the show where you see uh, Baby Yoda um, back in the Razor Crest and uh, well, Mando. And, and before we go back to the, yeah, but, go before we get to that Baby Yoda scene, just the one other thing we got to mention from the end of that fight is where he goes back to the ship and Grief Karga sneaks aboard and he's waiting oh, there for oh, him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, uh, sure. you know, so they kind of have a standoff and the Mandalorian uses his own carbonite freezing chamber to you know, kind of put up a smoke screen between them. And then he, uh, <clears throat> he shoots grief Karga, who showed earlier in the episode that just for like referring the Mandalorian for that job, he even got paid in some Beskar. And so he's like, heck, even I'm rich. Um, and so he had some Beskar like tucked in his chest and the Mandalorian shot him and takes off in a ship and leaves him there on the ground. And then you see, um, this is kind of like a classic, uh, you know, yeah, action movie right. trope, right? Where the guy had like yeah. something in his in his chest pocket that saved him, and he pulls yeah. out the best guard, and it's got a blast mark on it, and so um, that's what saved him there. But I was thinking about this earlier, and I was like, we're definitely going to see him again, um, oh, pro yeah. probably yeah. as an adversary now. Like he's probably going to be putting a bounty out on him and, and sending guys after him because he's got a vendetta yeah, yeah. against him now. He killed a bunch of his other hunters, and he shot him and left him there. Um, but I also yeah. think just because of their, their past history, like I think, I, I think, uh, grief Karga might turn into one of those frenemy type characters, kind of like Hondo in clone wars, where like, sometimes he's working with the Jedi and sometimes he's working against them, like depending on his own self-interest. Um, like I could see, I could definitely see grief Karga turning into like an adversary for the Mandalorian going forward, but I could also see, uh, maybe a scenario where the Mandalorian has to like team up with grief Karga and the bounty hunters guild to fight the empire or some threat that's after them both for some reason. So, um, but whatever direction yeah. they end up going with there, I, you know, I think it's definitely going to be interesting to see, uh, how he plays into it going forward. Yeah, no, it, it's, that's, I totally forgot about that. And yeah, they did set that up and you're right. It is a trope. It's like they set that up earlier when he shows he has one piece of, uh, of the Beskar steel and it puts it in. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I totally forgot about that, but a very important part of the show. Um, so we kind of wrap up there. Uh, guys, my thoughts on the show was like, everybody was saying that this was their favorite of the first two. And um, I could probably say that. I mean, I've really enjoyed obviously all of them. And, and if you had to pick like a favorite at this point, um, it, I don't know, man, it's tough. I, 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 I do think it's, uh, it's up there. I don't know if I'd call it the best of the series. Maybe. I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? You think it's the best one? Oh, yeah. I think I think Easily, it's just yeah. gotten progressively better. Like, the first sure. episode I yeah. thought was good. I mean, I, I definitely loved it right off the bat, especially the end of the episode. But it had some areas, especially early on, where I thought it could have been a little better and was still kind of trying to find its footing. Um, 
So I would say, I mean, honestly, if I had to rank them, I'd give the first episode like a seven or eight out of 10. I'd give the second one like a nine out of 10. And then this one was pretty mm. darn close to a 10 out of 10. Like, uh, yeah. you know, between just seeing the, the Mandalorian in there taking out the stormtroopers and taking out the bounty hunters. And then the scene at the end where all the Mandalorians fly in and then sprinkled throughout that, you know, you got the, the emotional kind of heartfelt moments with him and the baby and. Um, sorry, I kind of cut you off there at the end when you were talking about just that scene where it comes back full circle where he's in the ship and he gives him the little ball that he was, you know, wanting to play with the whole time. And that was what made him uh, realize that he wanted to go back for him. And so that was a nice little payoff mm-hmm. there at the end. So, um, yeah. you know, just more fun and charming and cute moments with the baby Yoda and <laughs> more world building yeah. stuff with like we were talking about even just the mentions of the Empire and the New Republic, but also lots more. Uh, information on the the Mandalorian culture and where they're at and even getting to see more glimpses of those flashbacks and you know the main character and his backstory um so just good you know story and world building stuff on top of just awesome Mandalorian action I mean this episode was everything I could have hoped for that's what I gave the first episode uh was an eight and the second one I'd, I'd probably do the same round of eight and in this one I'd probably jump to a nine um but uh Paul what do you think I, you know, I, I I love this series so much, and I I I've 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 been saying from the rooftops it's going to be huge, it's going to be great, and it's so far it's exceeded my expectations in a sense to where mm-hmm. it's even it's even more giving us more Star Wars than I ever even imagined. Yeah, and. Uh, I just kind of give people kind of an idea of what I, what I'm thinking from like an episode directing and as far as, uh, you know, the quality of episodes and, and everything really fast. But the first episode I, I, I thought was clunky. I know t- uh, Tim and Kyle, on our, um, our last episode kind of really broke that down. I thought pretty well. Um, it was Dave Filoni's first episode directing live action TV. I thought it showed at moments, to yeah. be honest. Um, sure. yeah. it, but it wasn't bad. By any means, but it definitely, it, it was, I didn't, I almost thought that, okay, this is what we're kind of expected. These people are going to be directing Star Wars for the first time, not just Dave Filoni, but so many other people on here and, you know, whatever. But then the second episode happened and I really felt, I actually liked the, the second episode more. And I really liked Rick Fumiyama's uh, directing style. And I, the ending fight of the Mudhorn and all the shots that he took um, and, and and was – or, again, I, I'm sorry, butchering film talk, Kyle. And you're like the, the person here. You probably tell me to shut up if I need to – if I'm saying things wrong here. But the shots that he aligned and the, the shooting of, of that whole scene I thought was really well done. And I really – I love the beginning of that episode. And it made me think, man, this, this show is way more – it just having a more seasoned director – you could see it flourish even more. And then you take this episode, Deborah Chow, who is very experienced in, in directing television. That's where her experience is. Rick Fumiyama is mainly film. Obviously, they're all very, those are very, very similar, obviously. But I thought that she elevated even further because I thought she knew how to pace it better than anyone so far. And I thought, but I thought like they've only gotten better pacing wise from each director and i think she just nailed she took what 30 something like 34 minutes whatever it was or less than that because you count the credits yeah. took took her small condensed time 
and really gave us a, a, a really tight, great story that you just it gripped you and had a great ending. And it's really impressive. And, and I think that to me is the biggest thing is that the Mandalorian is giving us things that are that are impressive that I did not anticipate. And these directors are taking are these if you were to tell me that the Mandalorian would only be a half hour long, give or take, I'd be disappointed by that. I think we'd all would agree. Mm-hmm. But when you see what these directors are doing, including Dave Filoni, but if you see as as what we've gotten these three directors have, especially Deborah Chow, and what they've done with those that limited amount of time, it's been extremely impressive. So yeah, I, I think episode three so far is the best overall episode, but I think they've all been very good, and I can't wait to see what Dave Filoni does with the second episode, and I think he's only going to get better. I think he's going to be very, very good eventually with Star Wars directing and and, and whatever. But uh, but yeah, I'm really interested to see what he does in the second episode. But yeah, Deborah Chow's this, The Child or The Sin is definitely so far the gold standard for Mandalorian. I think a lot of people are... Um, I don't want to say put at ease, but man, when we all know that she's doing the Obi-Wan series. So I was like, oh yeah, you know, this is perfect. And that's it also going to be a lot of the writing and everything too. But I think a lot of people are like, oh wow, she's doing the, uh, the Obi-Wan series. So that's even great. And you mentioned the directors. I mean, geez, we got, we got Taika Waititi coming up to do the, uh, the finale. And then, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard's in there and her father obviously is a great director. So I'm sure he had, Kind of help throw along too so it'll be interesting to see how each of these directors and how they they play out so there's a lot of good stuff coming i guess guys we'll end up um we've got just a few mentions uh we got to go through the mailbag a little bit here uh facebook uh any, anything else guys before i go to the, the mail i'm good yeah i think okay. we hit pretty much everything yeah um so on facebook john morales he says another episode another incredible episode i'm so in love with the series uh, the show I love how each episode is really its own thing with a different feel, mood, and purpose. And yet they are all telling a single story. This week we got to do, we got the quote, do the right thing despite of the rules rescue story. Reference to a sin could have gone one of two ways against the morality of sending an innocent child into danger and death, or against an ad hoc code of mercenaries and criminals. I'm glad he chose, well, and now. Uh, it launches us into the story of a man who has lost the world but gained his soul, though not before getting the spoils. He is now an outsider hunted by dangerous ex-associates and angry sociopathic client, and he will have to find some other outsiders in the lighter side of gray to help him out. I love these kinds of stories, so I'm totally on board and nice to get a peek at Deborah Chow's work now that he, uh, we know she is, there you go, the helm of the Obi-Wan, feeling good about that decision too. So I, I did, actually, I did mention that about the Obi-Wan stuff. But yeah, he talks about the sin too, guys. We talked about the sin in this episode. And you, you can take it a few different ways about what actually is the sin. There's there's a couple different references in there. So um, uh, any thoughts on the, the uh, John Morales' comments there, Kyle? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess just to kind of expand what we talked about earlier, I mean, I kind of see it as, as, as far as like what that sin is, it could be the the sin of handing the child over to the Empire in the first place, or right. um, of going against the client and, you know, asking questions that he shouldn't be asking, or him turning against, you know, turning against the client and shooting up all the stormtroopers, or turning his back on the Bounty Hunters Guild. 
Um, so he kind of breaks, you know, quite a few rules. Um, a lot of sins. You yeah. know, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Depending on who yeah. you're talking about or who's, whose perspective it's from. So, um, but I kind of like that. I, I like that there's multiple interpretations of it. There are a lot of different things in the episode that kind of fit. And at the same time, it's not like a huge pressing question. Like we need to know what the sin is in order to understand the story. It's just kind of like, you know, you can interpret the title different ways, but the episode is the episode. And it's awesome yeah. regardless. Yeah. Uh, Paul, any thoughts on John's co uh, comments? I, I just echo what Kyle yeah. said. Yeah. Uh, we get to Alan, and she says, again, talking about the sin, he sinned against the guild's bounty hunter code, but realized that leaving the asset with the Imperials was a sin against Mandalorian code, especially as a former foundling himself. Uh, he had choose and he did his tribe backed him up so and he quote uh, our hashtags this is the way uh another great uh quote from uh from these episodes but yeah um that's where i was going is like he sinned uh against uh, the bounty hunter code uh about wondering what's going on with this child but um that's kind of where i was going the same with with alan there so uh what else we got here uh we got an email also it says um this is from uh Sherston. I love that the town is almost a reverse Pompeii carved directly out of volcanic flow. Super cool setting detail. And maybe that I've recently been watching The Good Place, uh, who does this amazingly well. But one thing I really like about The Mandalorian is that it's not wasting time with plot points. They could have saved the Mandalorian swarm attack for a later episode, but I'm glad they didn't. So, yeah, you know what's funny is like we, you guys mentioned the, the time frame and and that was the first thing I mean, I was like, oh, man, half hour. But I think it's one of those things where they're able to tell these tight stories. And I was always talking about this on the Rebels and on Clone Wars sometimes and even on Resistance. It's when you put 22 episodes up, it's just you're not going to have 22 episodes of just you're going to be your mouth's going to be dropped every time. There's going to be these. There's a lot of these fluff episodes. I'm mm -hmm. sorry to say it, but there is. And I think this is you're going gonna totally get your opposite. Ma you get your Darth Maul arcs and you get your droid arcs. Yeah, and and this episode, I mean, this this series, it's like it's it's the old magician's code. It's like always leaving, or the old entertainment code, always leaving the audience wanting more. And they're definitely doing that. It's like every time I see, it, it's like, oh, oh my gosh, I want to see the next episode now. You know, it's mm -hmm. like that's that's the total opposite. I think that's the way they're killing it. I, you have any thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's there's going to be different kinds of storytelling in, in the Mandalorian. I, I, I like, I don't think baby Yoda is going to be in the whole series. I think he's eventually going to get dropped off somewhere. And I think we're, and, and in fact, there's an episode that I think that they're, they're already showing us. That's going to emulate the clone wars mm -hmm. with uh, what's it called? Um, Seven Samurai, the episode where uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan go to that planet. Oh, my. Is it Felucia? Mm -hmm. I think it's Felucia, right? Yep. And they go to Felucia, and, and they have to defend him against Hondo and the pirates. And they have to train the fam or the farm or farmers how to fight back. And there's a there's a, in one of the scenes in uh, The Mandalorian, it shows, like, a similar scene where, like, they have the farmers with the sticks, like, kind of being trained how to use them. Yeah, I think there's it's going to be the next episode. Yeah, so like if that's the next episode, then I think we're gonna get a lot of stuff like that, callbacks and different things like that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I I think there's gonna be different kinds of of settings, and I think that's gonna be the benefit to what J Dave Filoni will bring to the Mandalorian and and John Favreau 
you know, we know Favreau wrote the first season, but obviously, you know, Filoni has a huge influence. He's an executive producer as well. I think we're going to get a real, a real diverse, uh, kind of idea for the Mandalorian within the budget they're, they're given, which is pretty good, obviously yeah. for television. It looks amazing. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm a firm believer that this is going to be, this is going to revolutionize Star Wars. I've, I've said that from the beginning mm-hmm. of this, as soon as they announced Mandalorian TV show, I said, I've been, I've been saying the future of Star Wars is television. And I, and I just now I just feel even more vindicated than ever. I've been saying that for a long, long time. And yeah. And I think this yeah. is, this is, this is a great example of what you're going to see how we, we personally all saw Star Wars at its most, uh, uh, diverse because of the Clone Wars and what you can do with it, but a lot of mainstream fans didn't because it's animation and who wants to watch animation, right? But now with live action, they're going to see that for themselves and they're going to love it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. No, it's like I said, I don't know if I said it earlier, but man, you know, they greenlit a second season before the season even aired. Uh, they're already shooting mm-hmm. second season, so the the confidence that they have this thing is through the roof, and and it's obviously well deserved. Kyle, any um. Any final thoughts before we uh, sign it off? Not really. I mean, uh, just yeah. you. one thing you were just mentioning that I was going to pick up on a little bit when you were talking about the length of the episodes and how, uh-huh. I mean, we were all kind of yeah. surprised that they're just a half hour long. In fact, when I watched the first episode, because it was like that first day that Disney Plus was crashing and stuff, and I saw that it was 39 minutes, and I thought it maybe just hadn't loaded the full hour long episode yet. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of expecting it to like cut off at the end, and I was just like, oh, I guess that's it. But I've really enjoyed it so far. I think it's just a nice, brisk pace. And it doesn't need to be, you know, an hour long for every episode just because that's what we're used to with TV shows. Um, Plus, if you think about it, a typical hour long TV show like on network TV is really only like 45 minutes with commercials. And so, you know, some of these episodes have been like 39 or 37 minutes long. Um, And so it's almost reaching that. And if you think about Star Wars movies or even longer TV shows like Game of Thrones and stuff, they're always jumping between different subplots and different characters. And there's a lot going on that you can fill an hour long space with. Whereas with The Mandalorian, it's a pretty simple, streamlined story where we're just, you know, we've got side characters coming in and out like Kuil and Baby Yoda and the client and Grief Karga and all that. But we're really just following the one main character the whole time. And so it's not like Return of the Jedi where you're cutting back and forth between the lightsaber battle and the space battle and the ground battle and following, you know, the different main heroes. It's like they're just telling a simple, short, streamlined story about one Mandalorian and his adventures in the galaxy. And I think it's worked really well so far. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And and I think the the last question I have coming out of this episode or the last thing I'll say coming out of this episode is, guys – I can't wait to go to Galaxy's Edge next year and visit the Twi'lek healing baths. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm not telling your wife, Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't say anything. Hey, man, this is Woo! the way. Good thing she probably doesn't listen to this. Uh, but, uh, hey, that's going to wrap up uh, this episode uh, faster, more intense. Uh, stay tuned next week. We're coming back. Uh, probably a couple of different uh, hosts. I'm not exactly sure, so it's kind of a surprise. But uh, be uh, as good as us. I don't know, man. It's gonna be tough. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It'll probably be a little bit shorter. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's my fault. That's my fault. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see who's up there. But yeah, thank you guys for joining us uh, on Faster, More Intense. Uh, we'll see you guys next week for Paul and for Kyle. My name is Matt. Again, we'll see you next time. In-
in faster, more intense. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Star Wars FMI. If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Faster More Intense is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts.